Open your Bibles with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and what I, I want us all to stand. When you find it, we're going to read through this section standing, and um, I think you'll see why here in a second. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. Uh, I love Thanksgiving. I love this time of year. I love the time off with family. Um, I do feel like in our country that Thanksgiving is something that you get through to get to the Christmas holiday. And we and I understand that the that the, the holiday of Thanksgiving is not found in the scriptures, but the attitude certainly is. The command certainly is. And so when you find First Chronicles 16, I want you all to look up here at me when you have found that. And I want to challenge you about something before we begin reading. Number one, did you prepare yourself for worship today? Did you prepare yourself? Have you begun with an attitude of prayer? Did, did you come today? Did you gather today in the meeting house to worship God or is this your religious thing that you do on Sundays? Um, you know that you can be both. You can your religious thing, and there's nothing wrong with having your religious thing that you do. We do have our religious traditions, and there's nothing wrong with those. But if if the attitude is this is just what I do on this day, that's not what God wants, and we're going to see that here in a minute. So uh, what I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm I'm trying not to set you up. So. Let's come to the scriptures right now with an attitude of thanksgiving. So before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to tune our hearts to a heart of thanksgiving. Lord, we get so wrapped up in the world, and you know that I do, and our lives can become difficult with, with cares of work, uh, cares at home, physical cares, emotional cares, uh, family and, and, and relationships, and so many of those things can be pressing down on us that it becomes difficult to be thankful. But Lord, you've given us so much to be thankful for. So Father, today as we focus on your word, I pray that you can help us to approach this text right now with a thankful heart. And Lord, help us to learn some things about Thanksgiving today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look with me in verse 7. Then on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his, brethren, and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. So, make known his deeds among the people. So, if we were looking at our ten words from Psalm 119, make known his deeds unto the people, which word would we use there? Precepts. Those things that we are to talk to others about. Okay, so let's go back. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Look at verse 9. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. One of the issues with modern Christian music that I struggle with, much of it is about how hard my life is. A lot of the Christian music is about me. When the Bible tells us to sing about Him and what He's done for me, what He's done for us as a church, what He's done for the world, what He's going to do, what a day that will be when we see Him again. Amen? 
sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant. Do you see that? Israel, his servant. Ye children of Jacob, his... What are those next two words? Home builders class. Don't forget that. We'll be coming back to it maybe next week. His chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Be mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto thee will I give the land of Canaan the lot of your inheritance. When ye were but few, even a few, and strangers in it. And when they went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. How many of you think that God does not want people to mess with his people? Amen. And so David, is he's, he's leading the people in thanksgiving. Look at what it says in verse 27. Glory and honor are in His presence. Don't miss that. Glory and honor are in His what? Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, let it not be moved. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let men say among the nations, the Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the woods sing out at the presence of the Lord, because he cometh to judge the earth. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Now notice verse 35. Earlier in the chapter, earlier in this psalm, He's praising the Lord for what He has done in the past. Verse 34. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Verse 35. And say ye, save us, O God, of our salvation. And gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to Thy holy name. And glory in thy praise. Lord, help us as we study this. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be thankful in the context of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Isn't this an amazing psalm? It's an amazing psalm in First Chronicles. And what's interesting is I was reading some, uh, some commentaries and preparing for this message, some commentaries on this text, they, they identified different psalms from which they believe this was taken. So it's possible that David, the other psalms that David had written, he pulled from some sections from those psalms and put them together in a psalm that he delivered to Asaph to be read on this day. And that's possible. The Bible doesn't tell us. 
It's possible that this is where they originated and then the other Psalms came from this and David expanded them. We don't know. I've told you before that sometimes when I read commentaries, I get so frustrated because the commentaries can be so faithless. One of the commentators said, yes, some of the, it's, it is customary, some of the Psalms are attributed to David. And that same mechanism may have been used here. As if David didn't write this. Can you imagine being someone writing on the Bible but not believing what the Bible says? Look at verse, uh, look at verse 7 again. Then on that day, what are those next two words? Look, let's all get there. First Chronicles 16 and verse 7. Then on that day, what are those next two words? So who delivered this psalm? David. Why would someone write, we think he may have, that's someone that you should never listen to. <laughs> don't ever let that, if, if God takes me out, don't ever let somebody who says something like that be your pastor. Amen? What you need a pastor to say is, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says in its context. Now, isn't this a beautiful song? And I love the expressions, verse verse uh, 8, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Has God done anything for you? Has God blessed you? And when I look at my family and the way that God has blessed me, I want to tell people about that. I try to tell you people, you young people, all the time, I want you to have my life. Young men, I want you to marry a godly young lady like I did. And I want you to have her to be your wife. I want her to be the one to train your children. Uh, that, that's what I want for you. Why? Because it's awesome. It's wonderful. See, young men, uh, I'm going to tell you something that, that most people probably wouldn't. All right? You might want to write this down. Yeah, I really want you to remember this. All women are nuts. <laughs> this is a true saying. Who can bear it? <laughs> and I'm just telling you, you're going to find that out. This is why you want a saved one. <laughs> and one that's not only saved, but one that yields to the Holy Spirit of God. And all the women said, yeah, you know, you know. And listen, young ladies, I'm going to tell you something that everybody will tell you. All men are oblivious. They're domestically blind. Honey, where's the milk? And all the ladies said, It's right in front of you. Honey, where'd you put the peanut butter? This is next to my shoes. I'll do some counseling for you guys later on. <laughs> Let me just tell you. People are broken. They're weak. They all have needs. They all have struggles. But when the Spirit of the Lord is there, everything is better. And what I know is my home is blessed because... 
there's a man that desires to serve the Lord. There's a lady that desires to serve the Lord. And we love each other. And that makes our home wonderful. And it's not because Jim and Laura are there. It's because the Lord is there. And I want you to know that. When God builds a house, it's a good thing. What are we doing? We're talking about the deeds that the Lord does. We're making known his works. We talk about those things. Boy, so much more that I want to say. Look at the next verse. It says in verse 9, Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done. Remember, we talk about this. Allow the past to inform the present. Whatever you're in right now, remember God has never forsaken you. Amen? So this is a beautiful psalm, and he's challenging the people to come before the Lord. But we really need to understand the context. So look at, do this, keep your place here. Get First Samuel chapter 4. When you get First Samuel chapter 4, come back to First Chronicles 16. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 4, come back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, and look at verse 1. Here's, here's the, the setting for this psalm of praise being delivered, <clears throat> this psalm of thanksgiving. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifice and peace offerings before God. So what has happened? The ark of the covenant has come back to Jerusalem. What does the Ark of the Covenant represent? The presence of God. The presence of God. And remember what Jesus Christ said to us, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will I be in the midst of them. So how many of you believe that the Lord is with us right now? You believe that? Wouldn't it be a good idea to be acknowledging Him in our minds as we're worshiping, as we're listening to the preaching, as we're studying God's Word? God is here with us. God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in the presence of his, in the person of his Holy Spirit, is here with us right now. God the Father is watching our worship. Remember, there's a there's a song or something I saw for the audience of one. This, you're not the audience for me. You are my hearers, but the audience is God, and we are all participants in this. Amen. Isn't it good for us to be reminded of that? That we have a responsibility, we have an obligation here as we're here. And so the context is they had brought the Ark of the Covenant back. Go to 1 Samuel in chapter 4, and I want you to see what had happened. Now, young people, I want you to all be looking at this. We're going to read a pretty long passage of Scripture here. So don't unplug. Stay plugged into the words and as, as we're looking at this. Verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. All right, so obviously the Philistines are the, the enemies of Israel they come against Israel, and Israel went out to fight against them like they had many times, and they expected the Lord to be with them. 
They assumed God would be with them, but he wasn't. And 4,000 soldiers in Israel were killed. Now notice what happens. Verse 3, And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So what did they do? They said, okay, in the past, we've had God with us in these battles, and God is with the ark. So let's take the ark out. Let's make sure that the ark is there with us, because that, listen to this word, to them, listen, represented the presence of God. Is the ark the presence of God? No. It's wood and gold and whatever other elements or materials are used to make it. The ark is not God. So they went and got the ark and they said, surely if we bring the ark out before us, we'll win this battle. Now notice what happened. Verse 4. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Now, I want you to mark those two names, Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas. They play an important part in this event. Verse 5. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. Man, their worship was amazing. When the people saw the Ark of the Covenant, which, what's the word that we're using? It's not God, it what? It represented God. The people shouted. And their shout was so great that it scared the Philistines. They were worshiping. They were excited. Because now the Ark was there. And now they were going to win. Green Hornet's ring was there. Green Hornet? Green Lantern. Green Hornet didn't have a ring. He had Cato. How many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay. Nathaniel knows. Verse 6. Oh, look at verse 5. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? Man, they were excited. They were going to win. They understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, and they said, Look at what it says. God has come into the camp. You see that? Had God come into the camp? Had God come into the camp? What had come into the camp? The ark, or the what? The representation of God. See, we don't need the representation of God. We need God. We don't need the stuff that God gives. We need God. And so did Israel. They just didn't know it. And look what happens. Verse 8. Woe unto us, 
Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? See, they don't understand. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was very great slaughter, and there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel, look at this, 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Why did this happen? Why, why did this happen? So this is the context of 1 Chronicles chapter 16. This is the context of the thanksgiving. See, the Philistines have stolen the ark of God. And to Israel, that meant that they had lost the blessing of God. Because that's where God met with his people. And so if they didn't have the ark of God, that meant they didn't have the presence of God. So what had they done? They got into a tough situation and they relied on their religion rather than the God that they worship. Are you all with me? Do you remember what I said a minute ago? When I, I, I told you I didn't want to set you up. Before you read that text, are you here today because that's your religious exercise? Are you here today because that's what you do on Sunday? Now let me just tell you, young people, having that kind of character, this is what we do on Sunday. We don't get up and say, are we going to go to church today? No, that's what we do on Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. We go to church. That's a good thing. Would you all agree with that? Discipline is a good thing. There are days when we go to church when we don't feel like going to church. Why? Because we are supposed to do that. The Bible says it's a command. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. So sometimes the doing of a thing, because it is our duty, is a good thing. Duty is a good thing. Love is better. Love is better. We all have experienced that. When we feel like our spouse is doing something for us out of duty, we still appreciate that it's being done, but it means so much more when we know they're doing it out of love. There's a huge difference. And God made us that way because he made us in his image. God wants us to do things for him out of love, not out of duty. Now, if that day your love is low, then do it out of duty. Amen? Ah, you can't live there. The joy will be gone. The bitterness will rise up, and it will become to be a struggle. Now, here's what happened. The Philistines... They think that the power of Israel is the ark. Why? Because they're pagans. They believed that the objects had the power. And so the ark had the power to them. What did it have the power to do to them? They brought it to Ashdod, and they put it in the house in the temple of their god Dagon. And the next morning they came back in, they opened the door... And Dagon, their idol, was on its face before the Ark of the Covenant. I love that. It is so cool. They set it back up. They came back the next day, and it was on its face. But not only was it on its face, but its head and hands were cut off. And you know what the Bible says? They went back not into the temple. Listen, forever. 
They didn't do it. And then what happened was the people in Ashdod, God started judging them. Because the Ark of the Covenant belonged to the people of God. Why? Because the covenant is with the people. The covenant is with the people of, what's the nation? Not the nation of the Philistines. And can I tell you something? The covenant is not with the United States of America. Can I tell you something? The covenant is not with the United States of America. Uh, We are found in the book of Isaiah, it, it says this, all the nations to God, all the nations are like a drop in a bucket. But Israel is the apple of his eye. And so the ark is not God. It represented the presence of God, but it also represented the covenant that he made with Israel, and it didn't belong to the Philistines. So God judged the Philistines with emrods. We call them hemorrhoids. And they were so bad, all, all the men got hemorrhoids. Some of you are thinking, the stuff I hear from the pulpit at Grace Baptist Church. And this is before Preparation H. And listen, they were so bad they died. I don't know of much worse you could die of. They died of hemorrhoids. And apparently God also infested their their cities with mice. Nasty. I hate them, them Mises to pieces. <laughs> and so, you guys don't even remember. <laughs> Wild. So, they take the ark from Ashdod and they take it to Gath. Guess what happened in Gath? Emrods. So then they took it to Ekron or the, the other nations. There, there are five of them. And guess what happened in all of them? Mises and hemorrhoids. And so they went to their, they went to their high priests and the, the Philistines and they said, what should we do? Well, you need to send the ark back, but you need to send it back with an offering. So do this. Make golden emeralds. After the shape of your emeralds. Or enrods. N, N, N? I don't remember. Doesn't matter. Gross. And they did. They made golden hemorrhoids. And then they also made golden mice. It's in the Bible. I'm just telling you the story of what happened. And they sent the ark back with these milk cows, and they sent them back. Or sent it back. And it got to the coast of Israel, and they were so excited that the ark was there. And about 30,000 people came to see the ark, and God killed them all. They're not supposed to look at the ark. And so they, they called the high priest. and The high priest came and took the ark and they left it at a man's house named Obed-Edom. And the ark had been gone for 20 years. And now it came back and now it's in the house of Obed-Edom. And Obed-Edom was a Levite and, and God blessed Obed-Edom because the way, of the way that he cared for the ark. And then a a bunch of men decided, and David, the king, they said, hey, let's bring this ark back. Let's, let's, Let's do it. And so they had a great celebration, and they had all the music, and they had all of the worship, and they put the ark on a new cart. You all remember what happened? 
and the ark or the, the cart hit a bump and it started to fall and one of Obed-Edom's sons grabbed it. I believe he was Obed-Edom's son. But anyway, a guy named Uzzah, he reached out to settle it because he didn't want it to fall. And when he touched it, God killed him. Well, that'll mess up your celebration real fast. Why did this happen? Look at 1 Samuel. We're looking at the context of Thanksgiving. I lost my Bible. I'm Josiah. I found the word of the Lord. Here's why this happened. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. He's going to do something great. Do you see that? What's he going to do? In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning this house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity Look at what it says, which he, what's that next word? Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. So you had 4,000 die in the first battle, 30,000 die in the second battle. All of those people that died in, of the Philistines. And then the 30,000 that died when they brought the ark back. And then Uzzah, when he tried to steady the ark. Why did all these people die? Because of the wickedness of the priests. And that's why God says judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God. See, we as Christians, we don't live under this economy. Amen? This, we don't live under this system. This isn't about the United States of America. This is about the nation of Israel. The covenant was with Israel, and they were violating God's covenant. They were violating the worship of God. They began to put their trust in the things of God rather than in the person and presence of God. And then, not only that, but they tolerated wickedness in their religious leaders, Hophni and Phinehas. Eli probably was not wicked, but God called him wicked because he allowed that in his sons. You see that? And so God judged them. But why did God judge the children of Israel and David when they were trying to bring the ark back, when they were trying to reestablish the worship? I want you to see this. Really important. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15. This is the second time they're bringing the ark back, which was the occasion of the psalm in chapter 16. First Chronicles chapter 15, look at verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. And he said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. So David didn't like it that there was no place for the ark, that the ark wasn't in Jerusalem and so he prepared a tent for it. And that's what verse 1 of chapter 16 tells us. But notice what he says in verse 13. 
For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the what? Is that interesting? You see, it's, God not only cares that we worship Him, God not only cares that we honor Him, God not only cares that we do religious things, He cares that we do it in the right order. And one of the issues, and again, this is Israel, not the church or the United States. Say, say amen if you understand that, Right? But how many of you think we can learn some things about God from this? They didn't do it after the due order. When they did it after the due order, God brought them blessing. And David is able to give that psalm of thanksgiving. But he gave the psalm of thanksgiving after that 4,000 and then 30,000 and then all of those of the Philistines and then the 30,000 and then... Hophni and Phinehas, and Uzzah, and when they came back and told uh, uh, Eli, Eli was 98 years old, he's sitting on a stool, they told him about it, he fell backwards and broke his neck. And then his daughter-in-law was getting ready to give birth, and when she heard about it, she went into birth, and she died giving birth, but before she died, she named the child Ichabod, because the glory had departed from Israel. Why did all that happen? happened in the first place because they allowed corruption in their spiritual leadership. It happened in the second place because they worshiped God, but not according to the due order. Let's bring this forward. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. First Corinthians chapter 14. So, the book of 1 Corinthians, it's a church epistle, which means it's written to a what? A church. You guys are quick. I can't get anything past you. All right? So, it's written to a, a church. Is it written to Israel? No, no. It's written to a church. Notice what it says in verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, 1 Corinthians is God's book of divine order. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. And somebody's here thinking, this is the weirdest Thanksgiving sermon I've ever heard. Hemorrhoids. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Do you see there's an order there? How many of you see there's an order there? All right. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So our ministry has to be done decently and in order. Is that right? Remember, judgment begins at the house of God. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, he calls it the church of God, which is the house of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So, if we want the blessing of God, 
We can't have the blessing of God without the presence of God. Would you all agree with that? God is present. Do we have anyone here and you're, you're saved? You know for a fact that you're saved, you're born again. Would you raise your hand? Hold it up for just a second. You know that you're saved, you're born again. Okay, thank you. That means that the Holy Spirit of God is here. Why? Because you're here and the Holy Spirit of God is in you. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit of God will never leave you. One of the saddest verses in the Bible is when Samson, remember Delilah had cut her hair? Cut her hair. Cut his hair. And she said, the Philistines are coming. And he shook himself like he always did and went out to meet them. And it says something like this. He wist not that the Lord had left him. One of the saddest verses in the Bible. He didn't know God wasn't in him anymore. Ready for some good news? That can never happen to you. The Holy Spirit. Are you saved? Holy Spirit's in you. Holy Spirit will never leave you. Isn't that good? We don't, we, we don't live under the same economy that the children of Israel were dealing with with the Ark of the Covenant. But let me ask you this question. Has God changed? No. Does God still expect righteousness, holiness, and due order from the leaders of His church? Who are the leaders of the church? Well, obviously the pastor. Obviously the deacons. So you all need to make sure that your pastor is holy. That your pastor is doing right. Now, I'm not going to be perfect, but I need to do better than I am. Your pastor needs to be holy, needs to know God. And you need to require your pastor. Listen to what I'm saying. Very important. You need to require your pastor to follow due order in the church. That's baptism. The way we do baptism. person has to be saved in order to be baptized. In order to be a member of the church, they have to identify with this church's doctrine through baptism. That's the due order. And then you can't take the Lord's Supper until you have identified with the Lord in baptism, in that due order. Baptism precedes the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is for the church and it's disciplinary. So if Isaac is living publicly in sin, I can't allow... Oh, you're saved, right? I wasn't sure. You're safe. That's an ugly thing to say, isn't it? You good? You all right? Good. So Isaac is saved. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and you're a member of Grace Baptist Church. So if Isaac is not living properly, then I as pastor, I'm not allowed to let him take the Lord's Supper. Right? Now, here's, the, here, here's where things get, get tricky. So Rania is full of mercy. Ed doesn't know this, but Rania is full of mercy. And Rania finds out that I'm not going to let Isaac take the Lord's Supper. And Rania gets mad for Isaac. And now we have dissension in the church. Why? Because she does not want her pastor to follow the due order. Isn't that interesting? That's just one example of the way that churches can begin to lose 
the blessing of God. So we expect the pastor to be holy. How many of you think that the deacons ought to be holy? That they need, that they need to live for God. That they need to make sure I lost Justin. See, he doesn't even come to church. Right there. That black shirt, that, that's representing the blackness of his heart. Doug, I think, is in the nursery, so he's got to be holy. Junior church or something. But seriously, we need them to be right with God. Would you all agree with that? God's not going to bless Grace Baptist Church if the leaders that God has given us are not holy and righteous. How about Sunday school teachers? Are Sunday school teachers leaders? Absolutely. How many of you think those Sunday school teachers, it's really important that when they stand up or however their, their posture before they teach their class, that, that, that they are right with God and that they're doing things in due order? Is that important? Who are our other leaders? How about disciplers? Those of you who have been through discipleship and you have been trained to disciple someone else, whether you're actually discipling someone or not. And let me explain that to you. If you are not in our discipleship ministry, what we have done is we have people that have been trained to teach you the Bible and to prepare you to teach the Bible to someone else. That's God's plan. So if you're not involved in discipleship, there's a card in the chair in front of you. Just fill that out and give it to one of us and we'll make sure that we get you a disciple or someone that will teach the Bible to you. But those of you who are doing that, you're the leadership of Grace Baptist. I tell you that all the time, every time we have a, <clears throat> a discipler meeting. Well, how many of you think it's important for the disciplers to be holy? Because the whole idea of discipleship is it's, it's taking the life that you have in Christ and reproducing that in someone else. If you're not right with God, we don't want that being reproduced. What are the things that keep us from being holy? What are the things that keep us from doing things in due order? What are the things that, that, that cause us to behave the way that the children of Israel did that caused the judgment of God on them? What are the things that we do that are like that? Well, I think, first of all, we cease to be thankful. And I'm not just saying that because today is our Thanksgiving service. I think that, that the opposite of thankfulness is resentment. Is that fair? Would you all agree with that? The opposite of thankfulness is resentment. What, why do we become bitter and resentful? Why do we do that? Because we don't get something that we think we should have. Because someone treats us in a way that we don't think they should have. And it's possible that they shouldn't have treated us that way. But our perception is that, they, that we feel like someone has mistreated us. We become resentful. We don't forgive. We think maybe that we should get a promotion that we don't get. We think that we should have something that we don't have. We think that someone gets credit that we don't get. We, we think that, that, that those things start happening. Uh, children, you can become resentful of Christianity because of something your parents say to you or do to you. And those of us who grew up in Christian homes, what we come to realize is our parents were not perfect. But the heartbeat of, of my parents, even though they were not perfect and made a lot of mistakes, I know that their desire was to have a godly home and to honor the Lord. I know that. And yet, th they did some stuff that really bothered me, that really affected me. How many of you, your parents have done some things to you that, that you still remember to this day that you wish had not happened? Any of you? 
Yeah. Welcome to the human race. And so because of the resentment, because of what you think, then all of a sudden you stop serving God or you, you say, I can't give anymore because the way the money's used or, or I think that I deserve to have this. Or you see all the things that happen and you, you start moving away from righteousness and holiness. The answer to all of that is thankfulness. So now let's go to First Chronicles 16. We're living in a time of genuine upheaval in our nation. We don't know who our, know who our president is going to be. I don't have any doubt that the election was was corrupted. I, I just I don't have any doubt about that. But we stood by while our CIA did that in Argentina and in Venezuela and. Uh, we, we have stood by while, while our nation has done that. You all need to look up these two words, color revolution, color revolution. They overthrow, they overthrow uh, nations through violent demonstrations and corrupt elections. Does that sound familiar? Why do we believe that we deserve anything better than that? Have the Christians represented Christ in such a way in this nation that we deserve better than that? Now, I'm still praying for mercy. What is mercy? It's, it's getting something you don't deserve. We don't deserve to be freed from the, the socialism and the, the authoritarianism that is coming. We don't deserve to escape that, but I'm still asking for mercy. Amen? But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do? Let's look at First Chronicles 16. Verse 8, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him, sing psalms unto Him, talk ye of all His wondrous works, glory ye in His holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face continually. Remember His marvelous works that He hath done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. Look at verse 30, verse 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Verse 34. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And let's finish with this. Let's all stand together. Let's all stand. Let's, sing, let's, let's read verse 35 out loud together. Ready? And say ye, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together, and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks unto thy holy name, and glory in thy praise. What's the New Testament? Y'all are too tall. What's... What's the New Testament version of that? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Gather us together from among the heathen so that we can praise your holy name. Amen? Lord, we love you. Thank you for all that you do. 
Lord, help us to recognize that as Israel had done, that our religious leaders have let us down. Our political leaders have let us down. We've not honored you. And so we deserve judgment, but we're begging for mercy. But the ultimate mercy will be when you come and take us out of this world. So, Lord, we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus.